Well, good morning. It's good to be here today. Best day of the week, and God has given us a good one. Beautiful, beautiful fall day. We're so delighted each of you could be with us. We gather together as a family of Christ. We gather together to honor the Lord we love so much. We gather together to encourage one another. We gather together to remind each other. We gather together to warn each other. And together we have the hope of heaven with each of us. In a moment, we're going to be looking in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to grab a verse there. We'll first of all start in the book of Matthew, but we'll get there in just a moment. It's good to be with you once again. You know, one of the things that's just, I think, in a lot of people is just this desire to find something of value. It may be scavengers who looking for sunken ships, thinking that there's going to be a pirate treasure down there. It may be somebody who buys a locker and he opens it up and it's full of cardboard boxes and he sure hopes those cardboard boxes is something of value. It may be somebody walks the beach with a metal detector hoping he'll find a diamond ring or something of value. That's that concept that a lot of people have, something of value. Jesus began one of his parables talking about this idea of treasure. Here in the book of Matthew as Jesus is running through a series of kingdom parables. He says in chapter 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking the fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. We notice that both these men recognized the great value. Man found this pearl. He's a pearl merchant. Now, I don't know anything about pearls. You can put a good pearl beside a bad pearl, and I couldn't pick one from the other. Okay? But this man, his life was pearls. He knew a good pearl from a bad pearl, and he scours the countryside looking for that one great pearl. The other man is just kind of on a walk, and he finds treasure hidden in the field. And oftentimes they would do that. They didn't have a lot of banks back then. And oftentimes when they had so many armies coming over and, and invading, a person of substance would hide his treasure in the field. This man found it. Now notice he didn't say finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It's mine. He went and sold everything that he had and bought that field. It was now his legitimately. And what we notice is this, is that these men understood the incredible sacrifice. In both of these parables, they sold all that they had. I got to have this treasure. And this treasure brought them incredible, incredible joy. We started a series a couple weeks ago simply entitled, Can I Know? And I really appreciate how Jacob has led our first two songs using that emphasis of that word, know. I know that my Redeemer lives. How do you know that? How do you know that? Well, Roger, I just feel that way. I just know he lives. How do you know that? In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and verse 12, the apostle would say this. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Again, our second song, and that I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I know. You know what's like, students, when you go in there and you're taking a test. I've taken some tests before. When I look at this, I think, am I sitting in the wrong class? What is this? 
But I've also taken a test when I sit down and said, oh, man, this is going to be great because I know the answers to every single question here. This is going to be wonderful. When you have knowledge, it gives you assurance and confidence. In our very first lesson, we talked about salvation. Can I know that I'm saved? It's not a feeling. It's not something you just wake up and say, you know, I just feel different today. It's based upon the Word of God. Today, we're going to go to another level, and we're going to talk about, can I know what is right? And we live in a time where that seems to be thrown out the window. No one seems to know what's right and what's wrong. We live in a land of ambiguity, that everyone has a different idea. In fact, when we consider this, the statistics show us that 70% of Americans do not believe that there is an absolute truth. 70%. William Deaver, uh, director of the Albright Institute of Archaeological Research, said this, Postmodernism is essentially a mid to late 20th century theory of knowledge which states that there is no real knowledge, at least not in the objective external world that can be perceived by human senses. There are no facts, only interpretations. So I feel this way, and that cannot be wrong because I feel that way. And so when we look at that concept, it makes us understand and appreciate when truth doesn't matter, it's easy to be deceived. Our passage that Dan read about the Lord's Supper, do not be deceived. Well, I will be deceived if there's no right, no wrong, no one really knows up and down. That's easy to be deceived. Decisions, as we'll give a quote here in just a moment, are based upon myself. Why do you do what you want to do? It's not a matter of right and wrong, truth and error. It's a matter of simply this is how I feel. And again, we see that throughout the Bible. Situations become the standard. Wrong is not always wrong, and right is not always right. Again, if you've got your Bibles, turn with us to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. Those are my Tuesday classes. We've already walked through this passage in the book of 1 John. But in 1 John, chapter 1... John would, again, illustrate things this way. He would say, and this is the message, John, 1 John 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now begin at verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. You'll see the word if. Here are situations. God, this is the principle from verse 5, God is light, there's no darkness or error in God. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. I'm a Christian. I just don't live this way. I'm a Christian, and I smoke, drink, and do whatever I want to do. I'm a Christian. John says, you're a liar. You're not. You're not doing what God says. God has no darkness. You're walking in darkness you're not in God. The next situation, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and truth is not in us. I don't sin. You just did. You just did because you lied. Okay? You just did. And once again, God has no darkness. 
He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, past tense, we make God to be a liar. Romans 3 says all have sinned except me. You lie. You're making God to be a liar. Now, when we get back to this concept here of what is truth, what is right, we need to see how important it is that we understand, can I know what is truth? In a recent sermon, a preacher put out these three questions. What is essential in Christ? How are examples applied? Am I seeing the truth in context? And its conclusion was, all we know is Jesus and baptism. Everything else, who really knows? And that's scary. And that's scary because that's not what the Bible teaches. And so when we consider this idea of what is truth, I wanted to read you some quotations here. This is from the Washington Post. Most Americans say truth is subjective, no absolute right or wrong. Continuing that same article, we're just in a place in our country's history now where that's the default view. Most people would say all truth is subjective and there is no kind of objective truth based on external standard. They would say that they're the standard that determines what truth is. So how I feel, what I want, becomes right and wrong. Continuing the same article. If I decide it's in my best interest to lie to you, I'll do it. Interpersonal deception becomes more common and will have lower levels of trust towards other people, making it harder to have relationships because we'll no longer trust what the other person tells us is real. If I need to lie, I lie, and it's not wrong because it's helping me. And so we're back to this question, can I know what is right? In your Bible, in the book of John, chapter 18, we find our Lord standing before Pilate right before the cross. I want to read just a, a statement here in John chapter 18, begins verse 33. Pilate said to him, you are the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I may not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you said correctly that I'm a king. For this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone, who hear, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Now focus on verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And that's what we're asking today. Can I know what is right? How do I know what is right? And so let's go to John chapter 8. A simple passage, and there's three things here we're going to learn from what Jesus tells us. John chapter 8, verse 31 and verse 32. It says here, okay, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Three things. Number one, there is a truth. Jesus didn't say, who knows what is truth? You make the truth. You will know the truth. There is a truth, and that truth is God. Now, let's go in our Bibles, the book of Romans, if you will. Romans chapter 13. And then we'll put just some passages up on the screen here. Romans 13, as the apostle sets forth to talk about the role of the government and authority. 
And authority is just permission. And you have to be in the right state, right position to give that permission. Okay? And so in Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist are established by God. God is the ultimate. God is the authority. Why? Because he is the creator. Why? Because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. Why? Because he is holy and upright. Why? Because before him there was nothing else. Just God. And so when we look at this, we look at passages like John 17, John 7, verse 18. He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the, one, the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. Or as we just read in the book of 1 John, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So God is the truth. The source is Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. That's what it says. No one comes to the Father but through me. The book of Psalms, chapter 19, says it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Can I know what is right? It is governed and defined by God. Now, from this, we need to ask ourselves, can I know what God knows? Can I see things as God wrote them? Can I understand it as God does? We live in a culture today when somebody reads a Bible verse, they say, well, that's your interpretation. My interpretation is this. Your interpretation is to do what it says. My interpretation says, that's interesting, but I'm going to do it my own way. Can I understand truth as God wants me to understand truth? Can God write it in such a way that this is it? And that's what we're looking at. And so the truth is defined by God. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's the defining thing we have to see and appreciate, to understand that God's word is truth. In John chapter 16 but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, it's interesting. 70% of Americans say there's no absolute truth, but they do believe in absolute truth. Because there's certain things in our life that we know is just certain ways. You go to a hardware store and you want to board a certain length, well, there's a standard. You go to a grocery store and you want a gallon of milk. There is a standard. It's absolute. Here I have a $1 bill, a 5 a 10 and a 20 So after services, I go out to eat. And the person says, well, that's $10. I give them this. Well, sir, you don't have enough money. Well, this is $10 to me. I feel like it's $10. I'll be washing dishes tonight. All right? The guy will say, how did they let you out? Did you never pass school? Don't you know that one and ten are not the same number? Well, they are to me. You see, in our world, there are absolutes. You're driving down the road, and there's a number on that sign that says speed limit. That's an absolute. And the policeman pulls you over and says, you're going 85. Well, he said, well, to me, it's 55. What's the difference? He says, this little piece of paper will show you the difference, and you'll pay a fine. 
You see, in life there are absolutes, and we understand those absolutes. But somehow when we flip it to morals, we flip it to the Bible, we flip it to God, we throw it out the window. And so we need to appreciate the characteristics of truth. Number one, truth is absolute. One and one is one. A little boy can cry all day long, and he wants one and one to be three, but it will not be three. You can cry, you can pout, you can hold your breath, you can run away, but one and one is going to be two because that's how it is. That's absolute. It is defined. It's defined. And so when we come to biblical truth, when we come to morals, when we come to doctrine, it is defined by God. Why can't we have elephants in this room? That would be awesome. Can you imagine Larry Beckham leading an elephant around? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Why don't we do that? Because God has defined worship. And if we're going to follow truth, you have to follow what's defined. Truth is exclusive. It's narrow. It doesn't allow a lot of other opinions. Truth is singular. And truth is intolerant. And that's where a lot of people are hung up on today is that last word. It's intolerant. Because God says, that's it. But I like this. It doesn't matter. God has said. But I want. It doesn't matter. But I feel. It doesn't matter. When it comes to knowing what is right, we have to do what God says. And that's just the absolute way it is. And so we look at a couple more verses just to emphasize this point. 2 Timothy 3. Always learning... And never able to come to the knowledge of truth. I ask myself, could that be me? Oh, I read that Bible, but every time I come up against something I don't like, I fight it. I push it. I say, it has to be another way. I want elephants in church. I want to look in the mirror and say, I am a woman even though I'm a man. I want this, I want this, I want this. Always learning, but never getting it. And so we come to passage like Ephesians 4. There is one body. And when you look at chapter 1, that body is talking about the church, the saved. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's one hope. There's one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, let's stop learning that baptism. I was baptized as a baby. It was sprinkled. But in the book of Acts, I read about immersion. But then I read about Holy Spirit baptism. There's all kinds of baptism. When you read from the book of Acts on, is immersion. There is one baptism. But I don't like that. I want to be baptized as a baby and get that thing over with. This then I never think about it ever again. Who determines truth? Who defines truth? And that's God. And so when we look at this, can I know the truth? First of all, there is a truth. And it's given to us by God. It's not made by the church. There are no church bylaws. There's no policy members. There's no councils. There's no things like that. We don't sit down once a year and determine, for next year, this is how we're going to do things. That has already been determined by God. So when we think about, can I know the truth, it's a matter of knowing what the Bible says. Secondly, not only is there truth, but Jesus tells us that we can know it. 
And we know it simply because it is the Word of God. It is the Bible. Here in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, he says that by revelation there is made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in the other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. What Paul says is, Holy Spirit told me to write this, and when you read what I wrote, you know what I know. So God's not going to send that special message to you. God's not going to put a tickling in your ear. God's not going to whisper, you get to do it this way. No, it's, it's revealed, it's recorded, and when we follow that, that's exactly the way God wants us to be. And so again, along this line, we, we understand that Jesus followed this pattern himself. Turn with me, if you will, in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, and then we'll go to chapter 22. Matthew chapter 19, and notice, this is exactly what Jesus did. Matthew 19 and verse 3 and verse 4. Matthew 19, verse 3. And some of the Pharisees came to him, testing him, and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Now, I want you to read what he says in verse 4. He doesn't say, Well, here's what I think. Here's what I think. Here, here's what Barra says in the latest poll. He doesn't say that. Here's what most Jews believe. Here's what, here's what my daddy taught me. Look at verse 4. And he answered and said, have you not read? And then he quotes the Bible. Have you not read that he who created him from the beginning made them male and female? What's the answer? The answer is no. I'm tired. I want a different woman. Can I just get a divorce? No. Why not? Because the Bible says so. It's absolute. That's what he's saying there. Now, again, we live in a culture today where people say, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's okay. Do whatever you want to do. Can I know what is right? It's in the Bible. Look at chapter 22 of Matthew. This comes up again. Different scenario, but same solution. Matthew 22, verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him. Teacher Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first one married and died having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. And so the second, the third, down to the seventh, all seven died and she's living. I've often thought it must be her cooking. I don't know. That's kind of, kind of suspicious, okay? And so they asked him, and verse 27, at last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures. Why do you bring up the Bible? Because that's the answer. That's absolute. It's defined. God determines truth. Can I know what's right? Yeah. If I open this. It was said last year that only 3% of Americans opened the Bible. Not read it cover to cover. Just open it to read one verse. Only 3% of Americans opened the Bible. And so if the truth is here, but we're keeping this closed, where are we going? To where I'm feeling. And that's why people are so 
concerned and lost and confused today. Notice also this is exactly what the early disciples did. In Acts chapter 17, as it talks about the people of, of Berea, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And so we need to get to a point where we can say this. A lot of people can't say this, but we need to get to this point. Any teaching that's contrary to what the Bible says is wrong. Why? Because God didn't say it. But a lot of people are doing it. Doesn't make it right. But I like it. Doesn't change it. But you know what? It makes me feel good. It doesn't matter. It has to be what the Bible says. Once again, take your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, and then 1 John chapter 4. John says things that today probably wouldn't be too popular, but he says it. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, the one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I know God, but I just do it differently than you do. It's not different than me, or you do it different than the Bible. If you're doing it different than the Bible, it's wrong. Do you see that? Then look in chapter 4 of John. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You see that? Strong, strong language. But what's emphasizing is there is a truth, and you can know it, and where it's at is in the Bible. Every one of us has this. It's not locked away, and you don't have access to this. It doesn't mean you have to get a certain amount of degrees to be able to earn it right to that key. Everybody has it. And so to know the truth simply means you're going to obey it. Jesus would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. To know the truth is to abide in it, as John talks about, walking with the Lord, following that, practicing righteousness, as Dan would say at the Lord's Supper table. And then we have a responsibility of handling it accurately. Again, look in your Bible in the book of First, or excuse me, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Accurately. Again, it's not a matter of just throwing a verse. Here's an idea, and I just put a verse on there. I like this, and here's a verse. Are you using that verse accurately? In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Now, I did something Thursday I didn't think I'd ever do in my life. I jumped out of an airplane. Wasn't sure if I'd be here today, but here I am. My youngest son, Joe, long story, but he had gotten skydiving tickets for the doctor he works for. His doctor swims with sharks and does all kinds of things, sticks his head in an alligator, not really, but it seems like that. And so he gave him this for a Christmas present. The doctor looked at him and said, absolutely no way. So Joe said, Dad, you're next in line. So we kept kicking the can down the road all year long, you know. Dad, when are we going to do this? Oh, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, you know. And I was up there this week, and so Thursday was the day. And I want you to know that when they put that big old harness on you, and it's heavy, and they're pulling all these straps, and it's pulling all the wind out of you, and another guy comes and pulls it tighter, and a third guy comes, and you think, he's just, he's just going to crush me. You think, I'm glad you're doing this. I don't know what you're doing, but do it. I want it to be accurate. And when we go off that plane, I don't bounce like bumbles. 
So I want to make sure we land. Now, he's talking about the word of God here. Handle it accurately, which means there's an inaccurate way to handle it. Just throwing a verse out there that has nothing to do with anything, taking a passage out of context, misusing it, is, is not the accurate way. You may say, well, I've got Bible, but did you handle it accurately? And so you can know the truth, but there comes responsibilities with that, and we need to see that. And then number three, that truth will make you free. It's powerful enough to change you. Free to see. Again, Jesus was saying in the Gospels that the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into a ditch. But with truth, your eyes are opened. You know right from wrong. You know what God expects. You know what I'm supposed to do because God has revealed it to me. Free from Satan and, and free from death, the fear of death, because I know what happens. I know what death is about. I know where I go because God has sold all these things to me. I know the truth. The, the freedom to make the right decisions and the freedom that will save you and the freedom that will give you confidence. John would say in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things so you will know you have eternal life. You are in a minority in this room because the people you live beside, the people you work beside, the people in your family, the vast majority would say, Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows what's wrong. Politician comes. Politician goes. It goes this way. It goes that way. It goes this way. It goes that way. No one really knows. God says you can know it, and it can change your life. And that's what I wanted you to see today. Now, that was just a very basic thing. If you're with us today and you're visiting, maybe you've never heard lessons like this. And maybe you'd like to go a little bit deeper and talk a little bit about, well, just what is that truth? We'll be happy to sit down with you and talk about these things and to study them with you. But as we end today, let's go to our first page in our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and just grab two more verses. Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse, and then down verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, 1, and then verse 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Stop right there. If that verse is not true, how do I know the last verse in that book is true? If I can't trust this verse, can I trust any verse in the Bible? Well, evolution has been proven. No, it has not been proven. Everybody knows. I don't know that. God doesn't believe in that. In the beginning, God created. Then in verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I can know where I came from. And I didn't come from pond scum, one cell amoeba that my ancestors just kind of evolved through. I can know where I came from. I came from God. And I can know who I am. I am in the image of God. I'm given special talents and special abilities. And I know where I'm going. And where I'm going is I'm going to stand before him and I want to spend forever with him. I think this is one of the most pivotal lessons we need to teach ourselves and teach the world today. Can I know? Most people would just throw their hands up and say, no, God says you can. God says you can. So we've got to get that book opened. We've got to be a people of that book, and we have to know these things. 
We sing that little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And as we started that story about the two, about the two men who found the treasure, they gave up everything they owned to have that treasure. One of the richest blessings you have in your house is not the size of your TV, it's not the cars in your garage, it's not the trophies you have on your shelf, it's not the degrees you got framed on the wall. The most precious possession in your house, other than people, is God's word. God from heaven has spoken and allows you to have this. And you can read this. And you can know this. And you can walk day by day and say, you know what? I'm doing what he wants me to do. Now, no one else may like what I'm doing, but I don't care. I want him to like me. Because someday, he and I are going to spend forever together. So I've got to know this. And that's what this is all about. The Bible teaches when it comes to the plan of salvation, one must hear the word of God, which we've been preaching to you, which we always preach to you. You must believe it. And that belief is going to lead to a change. If this be true, then that means I've got responsibilities. If this be true, then that means someday I'm going to stand before that throne of God. If this be true, then I've got to shape myself up to this. And the Bible says I need to change my ways. I got to, that's called repentance. Confess Jesus before men. He said he'll confess us before his Father. And then be immersed, be baptized for remission of your sins. That's how the journey begins. But we live in a world that's always just clouding things up. You know how it is when you've been around people and they've touched your glasses. All you got is fingerprints. And everything's just kind of cloudy. You're driving. It's foggy. It's hard to see. That's our society today. It's foggy. It's hard to see. And God says, here's the light. My word is a light unto your feet, Psalms 119 says. I can know what's right. I can know where I should be. I can know the attitude God wants me to have. I can understand the character I'm supposed to carry in my life. Why? Because God has not said, well, try to find me. Good luck. He said, here it is. Here it is. And so if we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.